Welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Cutrera Show for Thursday, October the 8th. Yesterday, the province gave the green light to the OHL to start their season with one condition, no physical contact or body checking. Mike Stubbs is a play-by-play announcer with the London Knights. He'll join the show to discuss that. And daylight saving time could be permanent if one MPP gets his way. But let's start with the vice presidential debate last night. We're joined by Reggie Cicchini, our Washington correspondent for Global News. Good morning. What's Washington saying about the debate last night? Well, look, I mean, it's exactly what you'd expect the debate to be between two vice presidential candidates uh, in a election campaign where both of these VP candidates have a potential to, uh, you know, rise into the rank of of presidency with two of the oldest uh, people running for uh, office right now. Uh, Vice President Pence is being criticized for his inability to answer questions, for his inability to stay on topic and for his inability to pay attention to the clock. Uh, uh, Vice presidential candidate Kamala Harris Uh, is facing criticisms simply for going too soft uh, and for potentially playing it too safe. Uh, But she is also receiving some praise for playing it safe because when you walk into a debate uh, and you have a lead of 10 points, the last thing you want to do is potentially move the needle in the wrong direction. Are you shocked that people focused on that fly that landed on the vice president's head and stayed there for two minutes? I mean, what does that say about... Uh, you know, uh, Americans in general and, you know, the the upcoming election, because that's a pretty interesting thing to focus on. Well, I think it's because last week you saw massive fireworks between President Trump and Joe Biden, uh, and people f- may not remember what presidential debates were like kind of pre-Donald Trump uh, in the old days uh, when it was simply just two presidential candidates that weren't trying to kind of project a, a personality uh, that belongs on television. Uh, and last night's debate is what a presidential debate oftentimes looks like, but without those fireworks, people felt that it was boring or people felt that it was simply too uh, kind of in inside the beltway and too legislative. Uh, So they focused on something else to try and create and spark some interest. But realistically, that is what a debate should look like. All right. So was there a clear winner? Uh, it's hard to choose who who is a winner uh, going into these debates. Uh, both of them had some good lines. Both of them stuck to their talking points. Vice President Pence, uh, unlike four years ago, was put in a position where he had to try to defend President Trump's last four years. And he oftentimes tried to, uh, you know, avoid talking about certain topics. He tried to avoid being on the wrong side of popular uh, uh, opinion around the country. Uh, and in mm-hmm. doing that, he, he stuck to the administration's kind of uh, towing the line behind Trump. Uh, and the base will say that he won. You'll notice last night that when Mike Pence was talking, he was very clearly talking to an audience of one uh, that was sitting in the White House. Uh, Kamala Harris will be praised by the Democrats. She'll be praised by those who are following Joe Biden uh, as, as as not kind of stirring the pot, as not trying to uh, go after an ill president, uh, but also trying to stick to the facts. So both bases are going to say that both candidates won. I want to just play a little clip of uh, Pence when he was asked about the Rose Garden. Vice President Pence, you were in the front row in a Rose Garden event 11 days ago, what seems to have been a super spreader event for senior administration and congressional officials. No social distancing, few masks, and now a cluster of coronavirus cases among those who were there. How can you expect Americans to follow the administration's safety guidelines to protect themselves from COVID when you at the White House have not been doing so? Well, the American people have demonstrated over the last eight months, that when given the facts, they're willing to put the health of their families and their neighbors and people they don't even know first. President Trump and I have great confidence in in the American people and and their ability 
to take that information and put it into practice. In the height of the epidemic, when we were losing a heartbreaking number of 2,500 Americans a day, we surged resources to New Jersey and New York and New Orleans and Detroit. We told the American people what needed to be done, and the American people made the sacrifices. When the outbreak in the Sun Belt happened this summer, again, Americans stepped forward. But the reality is the work of the President of the United States goes on. So, um, Reggie, he's saying the reality is the president can't stop working. And that's what that's the message. You're right. He was talking directly to Donald Trump because that's the message they were trying to convey when they tweeted out photos of him working in Walter Reed and heading back to the White House. Answer me this. How bad are things in the White House? Because I know that Stephen Miller, the senior aide on Tuesday, announced that he has COVID-19. How many people are we talking about? Last count, I heard 34. There's a report actually out from ABC this morning or late last night that says that 34 could be the number. A lot of the people aren't named in that story, so we don't know exactly how many people uh, are, are included in that. We do know uh, from reporting from Bloomberg last night that the head of White House security uh, is potentially gravely ill and has been since the end of September uh, because of COVID-19. So this is obviously a problem, particularly with the president now actively returning to the Oval Office, potentially putting further people at risk in a building that's already being seen as a nexus uh, for spread. Back to what Mike Pence said about the Rose Garden, it simply, again, was an affront to the American people who have been faced uh, with the realities of COVID-19 to see people inside the White House actively ignoring federal uh, uh, kind of ruling from the CDC and the FDA on how to go about this. Uh, and, and it is worth noting that Kamala Harris shot back on that, saying you want to talk about rep respecting the American people. You respect them when you tell the truth. Uh, and she is getting high praise for that for that comeback last night. Okay, apparently the Biden-Trump debate is going to happen virtually. Uh, well, it's scheduled to happen virtually, but Trump's saying no. Can you give us a quick update on that? And then I got to yeah. wrap. The president was on Fox Business News this morning, said that he doesn't want to waste his time in a virtual event, saying that it, there's no point sitting behind a computer when you could do this in person. It's worth pointing out the president is COVID positive. He was doing this interview by phone because he could not be there in person. It's unclear whether or not he's going to go. Joe Biden says he will go. Uh, this is something that we're going to have to see how it plays out. The president says if he doesn't do the debate, there's a good chance he could do a campaign rally instead. And we need to keep pointing this out. President Donald Trump is a COVID positive patient sitting inside the White House and is supposed to be in isolation. Reggie, thank you so much for all your time today. Thank you. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been uh, paying attention to how dark it's getting earlier on. And as of, I believe it's November 1st this year, we're going to have to fall back into standard time. I'm not a fan of falling back into standard time. I don't like how dark it gets early on in the winter uh, months. And I'm not alone on that. There is a uh, private members bill that was introduced yesterday by our guest, who is MPP Jeremy Roberts from Ottawa West and Nepean, and it's called the Time Amendment Act. Jeremy, welcome to the show. You're hoping to end this uh, fallback into standard time and stick us firmly planted in daylight saving time for good. Why is it? Good morning, Kelly. Well, thanks for uh, having me on the show. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just like you. I've, I've always been one of these uh, folks who... Uh, hate that that part in in the fall and winter where you get home from work and it's it's dark outside you know you you can't go outside for a walk in the sunshine uh, going out to the stores it's dark out and so this made me start to start to look at this issue a bit deeper and uh, ended up finding a, a whole slew of academic research that 
showed a whole bunch of negative side effects to uh, to the time change, uh, increased rates of depression, uh, more people suffering from heart attacks, more fatal vehicle collisions. Uh, the list goes on. And uh, so this uh, this prompted me to bring forward this private member's bill, which, as you said, would uh, would end the, the time change that happens twice a year and would put us permanently in daylight savings time. So it would give us that little bit more sunlight uh, in the evenings uh, than, uh, than we're used to in the fall and winter. It's been pointed out, though, if we do go into permanent, permanent daylight saving time, the sun in the GTA would not rise until about 9 a.m. around Christmas, meaning that when you're heading to school or heading to work, you'd still be in the dark. Yeah, I mean, you know, there, there's got to be a sacrifice on one end or the other. Uh, so you're right. Uh, a little bit more sunlight in the evening will be a little bit less sunlight uh, in the morning. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think it's important to note that 79% of the world doesn't do the time change. Uh, we're, uh, we're, we're in the minority, actually, in fact. And, uh, uh, you know, with jurisdictions like Saskatchewan and Arizona that don't follow it. And uh, I think they've managed to, to figure it out so far. And I think they see the benefits of, uh, of having that extra sunlight in, in the evening so that you can spend more time with your family uh, outside uh, in those uh, in those after work hours during your research did is it true did you find out that uh, originally daylight saving time was introduced so someone could golf so there's a whole bunch of different stories uh, that's one of them that's floating around uh, what i found uh, was kind of the main driver was actually during world war one uh, germany brought in the practice and uh, they brought it in so that they could save on coal consumption and uh, Canada, the U.S., and Britain soon uh, followed suit. Uh, but recently, there have been a whole bunch of, of studies that have shown that uh, daylight savings time actually doesn't do anything to, to help our energy consumption and, and keep it down. So it doesn't even really serve its original purpose anymore. All right. There's been some argument that if we change ahead to daylight saving time in New York, doesn't uh, our stock markets aren't going to match up. Apparently, the change would only come into effect if the state of New York and the province of Quebec also follow suit. What are you hearing from both jurisdictions? Yeah, so so that was one of the things that I wanted to build into my bill was uh, to make sure that uh, that this didn't come into effect until we had some of our neighboring jurisdictions on board. You mentioned New York. Obviously, we, we share a common time zone there, which helps us access those markets in New York City. Uh, there's also, with Quebec, it's, it's almost a, a local Ottawa issue. Half the federal government is located in downtown Ottawa, but the other half is located right across the Ottawa River in downtown Gatineau. So we'd have a, a problem where half the federal government was on one time and the other half on another. So this is, is really meant to be a, a conversation starter, you know, to signal that Ontario is taking this seriously, is, is looking at the evidence, wants to make this change. And I'm hoping it will spark a conversation in, uh, in Quebec and, uh, and New York and, and Michigan as well. We're going to have a conversation about it with our audience at 416-870-6400 to find out if they would like to go to permanent daylight savings time or or keep it as it is. But uh, in that vein, if I could ask you finally, Jeremy, uh, some people criticize that during a pandemic, this isn't the time to focus on conversation starters regarding a change to daylight saving time on a a permanent basis. What do you say to that? 
couple of, you know, private members' bills are, are an opportunity for us as, as MPPs to bring forward issues that we're hearing about from constituents. And I, I've heard from quite a few constituents, uh, especially over the past 24 hours on this issue. And again, when, when we look at the evidence, when you see things like the increased depression rates, the increase in heart attacks, uh, there was also another study that showed that the fallback actually causes small businesses to take a hit because people are less likely to go out shopping if it's dark when they get home. So there's a ton of evidence that suggests that this could be a real positive regardless of when it's introduced. I want to thank you for your time, Jeremy. Really appreciate it, Kelly, and uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and your listeners. Same to you. All right. That's Jeremy Roberts. He's the MPP that's introduced that uh, private member's bill for discussion. Are you in favor of a permanent daylight savings is the question. 416-870-6400. Let's get a couple of calls in here as we can. Dave, you got any opinion on this? I mean, I'm a big fan of keeping it light at the end of the day as long as possible. I kind of get to that position where if it's dark at 4.30, I want to eat at 5.30. I'm almost ready for bed by 7.30. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, For me, like, you know, you're right. I think Saskatchewan is one of the provinces that already does it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm good with it. Just get rid of it. I I hate adjusting my clock in the house anyway. I know my phone does it automatically, but, uh, it usually wait a couple weeks before I actually switch it over. You do not. Yeah, I get get to switch it over because of the alarm. I get, no, 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 um, the, the regular clock in the house. I get too lazy. I don't want to get up there. Okay, you have it's a just real clock in your house on your wall. Like I a do. Yes. Clock? Yes. That is really uh, kicking it old school, Dave. It How is? about that? I have several. Like winding I have clocks. Several on the wall. clocks. Like a, a clock on the wall. I got a clock on my shelf. I got. I like clocks. Not a I one. Like time. I have a clock radio beside <laughs> my bed. But you have to adjust that clock radio. Yeah, that I adjust. Yeah, and I don't have any on the wall. All, it's just basically all the appliances and stuff. I got to walk around and, and deal with that because they're so old. Because I'm so cheap, I don't update my stuff. It's not about being cheap, actually. That's unfair to myself. It's about the fact that I hate things going in a landfill. I will use something until it's no longer usable, and then if I can find another way to use it, I'll use it that way. But I just can't. I'm not upgrading for the newest model because. Hey, Michael in Toronto, what do you think of the daylight saving time idea? You know what? I think it's an absolutely fantastic idea. And I think one of the things that's going to help is it's going to reduce pedestrian deaths because, you know, uh, with this change, it always gets darker earlier. There have been so yeah. many traffic accidents. We're going to be reducing it and we're going to be helping to improve safety. So this cannot come fast enough. Not to mention it's a mood booster. Appreciate the call. Frank, you're on the other side of the fence here. You like uh, falling back into standard time. Why? I like staying the way it is. First off, I can't believe that during a pandemic, people's concerns are changing time. And you get all these phone calls. Mm-hmm. Second thing, this thing about traffic deaths, we, we might save the ones at rush hour at night, but if we're going to wake up in the dark, we're just going to bring more problems in the morning when people are going to work or they're half asleep trying to cross that street. When things yeah, are you- broken, these things are the air. Frank, do you have a problem though when you're like that it it would be dark in the morning? Would that kind of would that be a terrible way to start your day? Because I figure I don't I don't mind if it's dark in the morning till nine o'clock. I I get it, but it's like you know uh, if it's dark in the morning, I would prefer that than to feeling like I have to end my day early because of the daylight loss at the end of the day. I think when you wake up in the morning, you need that sunlight to wake you up to, to start off your day. If you're going to wake up and it's still dark outside, you're still going to feel tired. I think you're going to be more tired because you look out the window. You're not going to see sun. You're going to see darkness. So in your mind, your mind is still asleep. That sun. Oh, my gosh. Is up. that what's going on on the show? 
<laughs> is that what's wrong with the show? I'm like, I didn't even know. Okay. I got to get one of those, but, like, wake me. You know those lights that make it look like it's daylight in your room that slowly wake you up? Have you ever woken up to one yes. of those? No, I've never. But I, I do love waking up in the summer months when the sun actually just shines on your face and wakes you up in the morning. If I didn't, if, if I didn't have to share a, a bed with my wife... I would have no blinds in the bedroom at all and just wake up to the sunshine on my face. And that is the only alarm clock I need. You I'd are much li- rather have so sun in the morning. You're so much like my husband sometimes. It's just <laughs> frankly irritating. No, really, I sleep with blackout curtains. So I'm waking up in the dark as well. So, I mean, that's the only way I can go to bed early. Anyhow, uh, I'm all for it. I say let's just stay with daylight saving times uh, permanently. I think it's a great idea. Earlier this week, I had Lisa McLeod on the show. She's Ontario's Minister of Heritage, Sport, Tourism, and Cultural Industries. We were talking about hockey specifically, and here's what she had to say when I asked her about the OHL. Yeah, so the OHL, uh, we continue to work with them to see if we can get them a, a safe return uh, to play. They, they would like to go in December. Uh, that has not been finalized as of the moment. And I know there's been a lot of questions with respect to uh, body contact and checking if they were to return. And that has not been greenlit. And I don't suspect that it will be greenlit. Uh, we've been pretty clear at the outset that contact sport would not be resuming because of the high degree and high likelihood of a spread of COVID-19. You heard it here first, and yesterday the province made it official. They say if the Ontario Hockey League wants a season this year, no body checking. That was the message yesterday from Lisa McLeod, the Minister of, let's just call her the Minister of Sport, just to make it easy. Uh, Joining me to talk about this on the line right now is uh, Mike Stubbs. He's play-by-play voice announcer for the London Knights with uh, 980 CFPL. Welcome to the show. Hey, Kelly. Thanks for having me. I, you know, I actually was saying to Chris earlier on, geez, please, I got, I, I wish, I've got my fingers crossed that Mike has an absurdly high voice because he's the play-by-play announcer. And I always figure, you know, the voice you use at the game is very different than your speaking voice, but not so much. <laughs> well, you know what? It gets louder. It does get louder. So I'll, I'll try not to use that particular voice for when somebody scores in overtime for the next couple of minutes. Listen, I, I have to say, uh, I have great respect for play-by-play announcers. I think what you guys do is incredible. I mean, as broadcasters, I just don't know how you come up with what you do so quickly. I know that it's uh, it's a muscle you exercise, but boy, oh boy, you guys have had a real workout. Now, you've had some time off, and uh, apparently the um, province has put a four-week pause on any new reopening plans when it comes to sports. But yesterday, the OL- OHL was given the green light. If they want to go ahead with this season, okay, but no body checking. Was this expected? Well, I mean, it's been talked about for a little bit, and they're looking at scenarios that I'm sure if you were using plans and lettering them, we'd be at triple Z right now. There have to be contingency plans coming up each and every day for here's what could work, here's what we could do. I think when we're talking about body contact, I think we have to look at this like a bucket of water. So if you had a bucket of water and if it had a big leak in it, boy, doesn't that describe 2020 and water is running out of it. What do you normally try and do right away? You would want to plug that hole. Well, I think if you're looking at playing the game without body contact, you're not plugging the hole. You're, you're trying to stop the leak by taking all of the water out of the bucket. 
we're mm. dealing with the wrong thing here. I think what you need to look at is not changing the game on the ice. You need to look at the protocols in place before you get to the playing surface. And I think if you've seen success in the National Football League, and I know the Tennessee Titans have an outbreak, but that's not because they were playing games. That's because of what they were doing off the field. If we look at Major League Baseball, it didn't seem to have a chance when it started, and yet they have made it through, and they're in the playoffs right now, and we're not seeing COVID-19 case after case after case. So this is not about what's happening on the ice. This is about what's happening before you get to the ice because you can take hitting out of the game, but that's not going to be the most dangerous spot to spread a virus. The most dangerous spots would come in just jostling along the boards, board battles, which are a part of hockey to the point that coaches are always talking about 50-50 battles. That means the puck is in between a number of players and they're trying to free it up. And that right there puts players right together. What about face-offs? So you've got to make sure that everybody getting to the playing surface is virus-free. This is not about taking body contact out of the game. And that right there is, it's not safe. If you look at taking away something like that and then expecting somebody to go to another level in a year, they would develop habits where they're not keeping their head up. They're not looking out. They would risk injury in doing something like that. If a game is played one way, it's got to be played that way. That's interesting that you brought that up because the minor hockey associations in Ontario have planned a restart this month. They will not be body checking. They won't be fighting. There will not be face-offs. Um, so I guess what you're saying here is we don't know how long this pandemic is going to continue, but if that play uh, changes in the minor leagues, when they move up to the OHL or possibly the NHL, they're at risk because they're not playing the same game. And that's a concern. And that's the reason why body contact has come up time and again. And what's the right age to start it? But the right age to start it is not when you get to junior hockey. It started well before that. And if you were to go and watch a minor hockey practice for players who were being initiated into now contact hockey for the first time, you would see just how much time they spend learning how to hit. They do it in so many sports, and I really don't think that that is something that is talked about enough. If, if you go to a football practice, they learn how to hit, and it starts with players facing each other in football and being on their knees and talking about where to put your head and how to move in on somebody. Same sort of thing in hockey, where you want to position yourself not two feet from the boards. You want to absorb the hit by going and, and being on the boards. So that sort of thing takes place. So you can't just make that jump because you're not, you're not looking out for it, and that puts people at risk. So taking body contact out of it, sure, you'd, you'd eliminate hits, but it's not taking out the physicality of the game. And I really don't know how you would do that without turning it into – you know, a, a rod hockey game. Remember those games that people play when they're kids or you find them in bars sometimes, the bubble hockey, where everybody oh, has yeah. a zone and they stay in the zone and you can only run up and down there, skate up and down that zone. That's what you turn it into if you wanted to take out physicality because otherwise it's, it's an enclosed surface. People are going to run into each other. Dale DeGray, the owner of, uh, or the general manager rather, for Owen Sound Attack said, uh, quote, all I would say is, is that hockey? It's not hockey that I know, but if it means we can play and the owners are on board with that, then I guess I'll, I've got to be on board with that. And he's, of course, referring to the uh, province saying that oh, the OHL must remove body checking and physical contact in order to play this season. 
Um, so I'm guessing you're on the same page as Dale. Dale's a really sharp guy, and we've got a, a lot of very intelligent people, and that's why I think a lot of things are happening in behind the scenes in terms of planning and conversations, and because it seems every day we wake up and something's a little bit different, I don't even think we can make that determination. This is like when when students were going back to school and we were trying to figure out what to do on June the 3rd. Well, could we fast forward? Could we grab a crystal ball? Could we see what it's going to look like on, say, September the 3rd? And we didn't have that luxury. And then things were kind of put in place. Protocols were put in place. I think we're in a very similar situation. And we've also got to look at the fact that rapid testing is coming. I talked with an immunologist yesterday, and she was very confident in rapid testing and what that could mean in certain circumstances. Could we make use of that to, again, test players as they come into the building so that if somebody would happen to test positive, hopefully not, hopefully they're following the protocols when they leave the rink, then you would be able to address that right away and you would not put anybody else at risk. Because ultimately, and this is the big thing, Kelly, we've got teenage hockey players and Mm -hmm. the OHL, the Canadian Hockey League, they put the safety of players first in absolutely everything. And that's not going to change. I love that you brought up the rapid tests. So I just want to jump in if I could, Mike. You brought up the rapid tests. Now, we know that they're not as accurate, but why would the OHL not want to instead just play in a bubble? I mean, like we've got a couple of teams that are in a hot spot. The the Ottawa 67s, the Mississauga Steelheads. Um, Why are they against a bubble? Because apparently, I mean, I, I thought that's what you were alluding to off the hop. Forget about getting rid of body checks. Let's just put everybody in a bubble. Well, I think the problem there is cost. If we called somebody and conferenced them in from the National Hockey League who set up their hub cities in Toronto and Edmonton and said, so have, uh, have you seen the bill? Do you have the bill for that? Uh, that bill would be astronomical. It would be a massive amount of money. And when we look at the Ontario Hockey League, this is a gate-driven league. You're not dealing with television dollars. The sponsorship dollars are not in the same realm as a professional league. So it would be just too expensive to do it. Now, we've got to take a second and look at the QMJHL, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. They have started their season. What they did was they they kept everything as small as possible. So they have three divisions of six teams. You don't play outside that. Things are going well in the Maritimes. Not as well in Quebec, as you might imagine, because their case counts are rising. In fact, they do have a team, the Blanville, Guabri, and Armada, who have 18 players and staff who have tested positive. They've had to suspend operations. They were not going to be able to play anyway because they play just outside Montreal. That's a red zone in Quebec, so there are massive restrictions on what you can do, and playing hockey is not one of them. But you have to find out in that case, and we're probably not going to hear this publicly, but what caused the outbreak in that team? What was being done? And that would help to say, okay, let's put protocols in place where we can hopefully prevent that from happening in the future. Maybe that acts like something as it did in Major League Baseball, where when the Miami Marlins, when they started testing positive, you had a lot of teams saying, okay, this is real, this can happen. And from there, you You had a few little outbreaks here and there, but certainly you didn't have anything to the degree of the Miami Marlins, and that may have gone to the fact that it was a wake-up call to everybody. Maybe Blanville-Boisbriand can be that wake-up call to junior players. 
Let me ask you about the players. How do they feel about the OH, OHL being told by the province, look, at you have to remove body checking or physical contact or put the kibosh on your season this year? Well, we've seen Will Cooley, who was just drafted by a National Hockey League team. He plays for the Windsor Spitfires. He made a statement yesterday saying, you know, it's, it's not necessarily, you know, looking like, like hockey. He, uh, he wants to make sure that, that he's playing the game that he wants to play for the rest of his life. And he's a very skilled player. So I think you have the players who ultimately, Kelly, just want to play. That's, that's it. They just want to play. And the hockey players follow rules for the most part. <laughs> they stay down to earth and they follow rules. Look at the National Hockey League. We had nobody running outside that bubble and causing issues whatsoever. And these are grown-ups. So players, it would be up to them to say, if this is what I've got to do, this is what I've got to do. But paramount for the OHL, as it always is, will be the safety of its players. And I'm sure that if they're debating quadruple A plan today or quadruple B plan today, that that's still number one on that list. All right. In your opinion, Mike, I mean, you're the play-by-play voice of the London Knights, so you risk losing some cash this season. Should they go ahead with the, the season? Well, I think we still need to see what happens in the next month or two. I, I think there is still time to put in a season, absolutely. And it's just But I mean one of, without the body checking. Well, again, I, w- I would rather see them go and deal with the protocols before you get to the playing surface. I think that is, that's a possibility, at least in my mind. But there are a lot of people a lot smarter than me figuring this out. All right, Mike, I'm going to leave it at that. I think uh, you've been a brilliant guest. Thanks so much for joining us, and I'm sure we'll be reaching out to you a little bit later on as we get uh, more information on what the OHL is going to do after the province decrees that there's no more body checking. Thank you so much. Kelly, anytime. Keep safe. That's it for the podcast of The Kelly Cutrera Show. Thanks for tuning in. We broadcast live from 9 till noon daily on 640 Toronto if you can join us. Otherwise, tell your friends about the podcast and have a great day.